This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfinley.org. This is my great uncle's toolbox. His name was Harold, but I didn't know that. My whole life, up until I was a teenager, uh, I only knew him as Tude. That was his nickname, the name he went by everywhere, Tude. And uh, my grandpa's brother, his name was actually Harold. I found his name on some of these tools, so I know it's true. But it's almost, it's hard to think of him as a Harold after knowing him as Tude for so long. Our sermon series is uh, Toolbox for Life. And to begin, I wanted to show you some of the, the tools that are in this old toolbox, some hand tools, some woodworking kinds of things. Um, and I wanted to just say that we chose that, the phrasing of that title, Toolbox for Life, specifically because we're not dealing just with a tool for life, one magical tool that fixes everything. I, I haven't found that tool. Uh, maybe if you've been up late at night watching infomercials, you've been told there's a magical tool that fixes everything, but I haven't found that tool personally. Uh, but we do want to talk about the, the different kinds of tools that have been given to us to address the, the difficult situations that we, we find in life, the, the difficulties that we face that become roadblocks to our relationship with the Lord, the, the, the difficulties that hinder us from being whole and complete, the, the difficulties that present a challenge to us emotionally, mentally, physically, from being the kind of person that God is calling us to be. And we want to use all the, all the tools that God has given to us, all the, the tools that God has placed at our disposal to address those difficulties, to minimize the impact of those difficulties, to overcome, if we can, those difficulties and move beyond them so that we can live for the Lord. So uh, first, what I want to do is just take a look at some of the, the things that are in this toolbox and, and help you understand uh, what they are. This took me a minute to figure out. This is a screwdriver, and this is uh, a power tool, believe it or not. Now, I have a, a power drill driver that I use with a cord that I plug in. It drills holes. It drives screws. It's amazing. I use it for a lot of things. This is a, a power screwdriver before you, you could plug in hand tools, and it works like this. There's a, a head on the end with a flat screwdriver, and you supply the power, and it rotates the, the, the screw head so you can drive screws. The ingenuity, I can't imagine the mind of the person who took a screwdriver and thought, if I add this shaft and construct it in a different way, I can change the way people use screwdrivers forever. And this eventually became a power tool. It's fascinating to me how that works. I have a couple of drills in here as well. Now, my grandma had an egg beater that looked like this. She would hold them. But this is a power tool, and it's a me power tool. So if I wanted to drill a hole, I would supply the power.
This one's a little bit larger and slightly, I think it would be much more difficult to use, honestly. The dexterity, concentration involved in drilling a hole with this bad boy. An auger bit on the end of this one. But think about the person who came up with the idea of using this to accomplish such a task. Now, these are old tools, but they're still very effective. And they're old tools that have brought about incredible advances in tool technology. And they represent for us a, a very clear fact that when we think about difficulty in the world today, sometimes we want to jump straight to the power tools. We want to think about self-help books. We want to think about um, psychological journals. We want to think about how we can resolve things as quickly and cleanly as possible. But the reality is that some of the most ingenious and effective means of overcoming the, the difficulties that we face in life are found in ancient truths, in, in old things that are still very useful today. And in fact, when we look to Scripture for the truths that we need to manage life and overcome difficulties, we find insightful words. We find meaningful guidance that even though it was written thousands of years ago, is still very, very usable today in a very meaningful way. Today, we're going to begin talking about difficulties of life as we think about what it is to face the weight of expectations in the world around us. There are different layers of expectations that we experience in life. I personally have experienced many different layers throughout the different stages of my life. When I was a child, I recognized the expectations that were placed on me by my parents, a very clear set of rules that I was to live by. And above those rules, also the expectations of the kind of person that I would be and the way that I related to other people and the way that I addressed adults when I was speaking to them, the kind of respect that I was supposed to have for the people around me, the, the kind of heart that I would have in doing the things that I did. That there was a very specific plan that my parents had to help me become a well-rounded individual, become a productive part of society. I appreciate those expectations. There were also expectations placed on me by other people who had a, had a position of authority in my life. Principal, teachers, Sunday school teachers, ministers, doctors, dentists, people who gave me guidance, who provided for me a framework to live by that was meant for my good, other adults who imposed expectations on me. When I was old enough to uh, look forward to graduation from high school, I thought about the freedom that would come when I moved out of my parents' house, the, the way I could throw off those expectations and the weight that went with them and experience life for myself as I moved on to a college campus. When I arrived, I realized it was just a, a different kind of expectation, but they were still there. There was a student handbook with a code of conduct that I needed to agree to in order to be a student. Above that, there was also a morality agreement because I went to a Christian college to study to be a minister and very clear boundaries about what my life would look like as a student of that college, not just when I was on campus and taking classes, but a morality agreement about what my life would look like as long as I was a student there. 
when I took a job in ministry, again, discovered the expectations that went with that. I had a very clear job description listing out the things that I would do and the responsibilities that I would have to live up to. Not only that, there was also a moral agreement again with with the church and the leadership there. I had a senior minister that I worked with that I had to align myself with, understand his personality and perspective so that we could create a cohesive team meeting the needs of the congregation. Important aspect of ministry life. So many expectations. There's an eldership that we both submitted to. And not only that, but the expectations of each and every individual in the congregation who had an idea about who we should be and how we should do the job that we had. When Becca and I became parents, we stepped into another layer of expectation. This one, quite possibly the heaviest weight of expectation, more so than any other aspect of life. We discovered there's no comprehensive guidebook for how to raise kids and what you're supposed to do in every situation. And we very quickly felt lost and unsure of ourselves. But that didn't mean the expectations were gone. They were there. And we discovered more and more of them as we went. Luckily, both of our parents came at different times to help us out, to provide guidance and advice, and to help us grow under the weight of those expectations. What surprised me was the amount of people who gave us advice that we didn't ask for. We have friends who who gave us advice about raising kids, and that advice we cherished and we used in many ways. But we found other people that we didn't know walking up to us, like in the grocery store, a young couple pushing an infant in the cart, and strangers would come up and tell us about how they raised their kids and the way we should raise our kids and what things we should be doing. And I heard way more things than I wanted to hear. Surprising. And yet, people are more than happy to offer their perspective, layering on top of the current weight of expectations even more. And what we found was that added to all of that were the expectations of the the people that we were responsible for, our children, who depended on us, expected us to provide for their needs, to protect them, to help them grow a huge burden of expectation, and yet necessary. What we find when we experience the weight of expectations in life is that that weight can be overwhelming. Dealing with and managing expectations is a process. It's a journey, and along the way, we pick up tools to help us manage those expectations. And we pick up tools to help us better understand those expectations, But we also need to develop tools that enable us to thrive within healthy expectations that come from appropriate authorities in our life. And we need to develop the tools that help us move beyond the unhealthy expectations that come from those who don't have any authority in our lives, from other avenues. And we pick up tools to continually improve and grow, much like home improvement projects that spring up around the house those of you who own a home or live in a place, you, you know what it is to constantly have something that needs fixed or addressed or resolved. One of the, the joys of working on an older home is this. Every project that I have to take on is a perfect excuse to buy another tool. 
many of the expectations that we find in life are healthy and productive, even beneficial. They're provided to us by those who are in an appropriate authority position in our life, like parents who give expectations to their children, like an employer who gives expectations to an employee. Those expectations are meant to help us grow, to help us develop, to push beyond our boundaries, become the best that we can be. They're normative expectations, and in many ways very beneficial. But that doesn't mean that there's no weight. It doesn't mean there isn't a burden that we carry with those expectations. We have other expectations that are unhealthy, imposed on us by people who have no business giving us advice or weighing us down with their opinions, and yet they do. Unhealthy expectations that are often imposed out of jealousy, out of a sense of competition, out of arrogance and pride, sometimes because of a lack of self-esteem. Expectations are, are piled on top of us to try and force us to become something that we're not. We look in Scripture, we find expectations described in a variety of ways. One I want to highlight comes from the stories found in First and Second Samuel. It's a time in the history of Israel. After the, the time of the judges, uh, it's when uh, Samuel was the prophet of God, the spokesperson who stood in front of the people and guided them and proclaimed what God's word was for them, in many ways the leader of the people. And through the, the books of First and Second Samuel, we read the stories of the first kings of Israel that came about because the people of Israel demanded of Samuel to anoint a king over them. They looked around at the, the nations that surrounded them and saw each of those nations being ruled and governed by a king. And in those nations, they saw strength and stability because of the leader that was there. And they went to Samuel and they said, give us a king. We need to be like them. We want that same kind of, of strength and stability in a person that we can look to, that we can give our allegiance to. We want a king. And Samuel warned them of the danger, of the damage that would be caused by placing a man over them, the kind of taxes that would be imposed on them, the conscription of young men into the army that would take place, the claiming of young men and women from the kingdom to serve in the palace, the heavy toll that a monarchy would place on the people, and yet they persisted. Their decision was a rejection of God's sovereignty as their king, a decision to have a man in charge of them that they could give their allegiance to instead. So God instructed Samuel not only to allow for a king, but God pointed Samuel to the man that he was to personally anoint as the ruler over Israel, a young man named Saul. And Saul looked the part of king. When Samuel approached, he saw that Saul was a head taller than all the other men around him, handsome, Regal bearing. Other, other guys looked over at him and recognized in him just a natural look of leadership. Samuel met with Saul and gave him the news that he would become king, anointed him with oil. And when it was time to present Saul to the people, to announce him as their ruler, Samuel gathered the entire nation of Israel and began to cast lots to get to the place where he could announce the name of Saul. And so he cast a lot for the tribe and the clan and the family of Saul. And it was time for him. He invited Saul to come forward. And no one came. Saul, come up. 
No, no one was there. He sent messengers to look for Saul, found him cowering, hiding among the supplies, unwilling to stand before the people as their king. Afraid. His reign as king continued in that vein. We see all the mistakes and poor decisions that he made, damaging his leadership, damaging his relationships. He was driven by arrogance and pride, refused to obey God's instructions. Because of that, God chose another king to be anointed as his successor long before Saul was ready to give up the throne. Now, Saul had a son named Jonathan, a young man with a good heart. And you would think that that Jonathan would be the obvious choice to succeed his father as king over Israel. Yet God directed Samuel to a young man named David, the youngest brother in his family, a small boy, ruddy, doesn't have the look of a king, and yet there was something inside of him, something about his heart. David was taken into the palace after being anointed to become the personal attendant to the king. He quickly became friends with Jonathan and they forged a bond together. David rose to the challenge of expectations that were placed on him as king. He was a man after God's own heart. Strove to lead his people well. And while he served well for most of his life, his reign as king ended marred by great failure. Jonathan, Saul's son, had accepted David as the next king, even though he had to oppose his own father. He wasn't jealous of David for taking the place that should have been his. Instead, he assisted and supported David, even helping him to escape Saul when he wanted to kill David to keep him from the throne. Now, notice in this collection of stories the the weight of expectations that's carried through and the different approach that these men had to that weight of expectations and the the result, the effect that was had in their lives. The story opens with the expectation of the people of Israel to have a king as they pressed Samuel, as they petitioned the Lord to place a man over them to be their king. They persisted with their expectations, even though what they wanted would bring about significant difficulty and strife. Saul, when he was chosen to become king, cowered under the weight of expectations. He was crippled. By them and became a twisted and weak version of the man that he was supposed to be. He allowed those expectations to keep him from reaching his potential. David, on the other hand, rose to meet those expectations. The distinguishing factor between Saul and David was the heart of David that drove him to pursue God, to use his position and power for the Lord instead of for his own purposes and gain. He cared for the people of Israel and followed where God led him. Now, we understand that the weight of expectations can be overwhelming. They're overwhelming, especially when we consider how many different places those expectations come from, pressing in on us. Some expectations are placed on us by other people. People will always be willing to push their views, to share their opinions, to give advice, even when you don't ask for it. But how you perceive those expectations, how you apply those expectations to your life is up to you. When we focus on pleasing people, 
when we strive to meet the expectations of others, we find ourselves living for their affirmation and approval. We find ourselves living, hoping not to disappoint them, living for something that we may never attain. There are other expectations that come from within. These may even be the most damaging of expectations. We have a tendency as people to place high and heavy expectations on ourselves. We're driven by perfectionism that doesn't allow us to make mistakes, that refuses to accept failure. Sometimes that's because of a competitive nature. Sometimes it's driven by jealousy as we look around and see other people succeeding in life and we drive ourselves to push past them, exhaust ourselves to be better. Some of our expectations are produced by fear. We're driven by the fear of what other people might think of us. We wonder how we'll measure up, whether or not we can be what we're supposed to be in their eyes. And we hope desperately that we won't be called out publicly, won't have any attention drawn to our shortfalls. We don't want to be seen as a failure. Some expectations are the product of comparison. As we look around and see other people and the perfect lives that they have, social media has produced a very strongly comparative perspective of life. We see in a post a perfect picture and we wonder why the grass looks so much greener on the other side of the fence. The reality is everybody has chaos and clutter in their lives. And if you would expand the frame of that picture, you'll, you would discover that rather than this perfect image, they've simply moved the clutter and chaos out of the frame. So what they're presenting looks like a perfect picture. Seeing as it's Mother's Day today, we chose to begin our sermon series with the burden of expectations because of the, the incredible difficulty that exists for mothers in our world today. The incredible burden to meet the expectations that are placed on them as they raise their kids. This has always been a very demanding endeavor, but it has become increasingly difficult for moms to stand up against the weight of expectations that have been placed on them made significantly more difficult by the, the comparison that comes through social media that we've, we've increasingly become more dependent on in the last months and years of our lives. These expectations, in some ways, are the product of, of mom shaming. When a, when a mom posts a, a picture of a wonderful moment with child, uh, the representation of some success that's taken them months to work up to, and they want to celebrate this incredible moment by sharing it with their friends online. And instead of comments that are encouraging and uplifting and celebrating, what they find are comments that are critical and condemning. Instead of recognizing the accomplishment, people online will look for the flaws in the picture and point out the minor things that could have been done better or should have been done differently because it's not the way they would have done them. And moms are sometimes crippled and crushed by the damaging words of people who are supposed to be their friends. And as they scroll through and see posts of other moms, they quickly feel inadequate because of the perfect pictures of family life that they find online. It's a terrible product of our society today. It's natural to commemorate and recognize victories and successes of life, but social media paints such a distorted picture of reality, especially when you aren't able to see the hundreds of failed attempts that led to that perfect picture. And all you can do is compare one 
perfect image with another that made its way to social media. The culture of our world today places such a heavy burden of expectation. Maybe you've felt that in the, in the circles of influence that you have. You felt the weight of expectation at home within your own family. You felt the expectation that's placed on your family by the church around you, maybe, or maybe because of the circle of friends that you have, people that you went to college with or are still going to college with. Maybe you felt the weight of, of expectations from the place where you work. Maybe you felt the weight of expectations from the community around you, for the organizations that you're involved in, and you feel all of those different circles of influence pressing, imposing, crushing you under the weight of their expectations. We each respond to expectations differently. For some, expectations have a major impact right up front. For others, they can hear other people's expectations. They can feel that burden, and it doesn't seem to bother them right away. But the pressure builds And over time, that pressure slowly erodes their confidence, causing them to question their approach, even their significance in life. Some people are crippled by expectations. Others see expectations as a challenge, and they're motivated to step up to the plate and surpass what people think of them. Some of us, because of expectations, we develop the mentality that it's not safe for us to make our struggles public. It's not safe to let people know that behind the scenes, things aren't what they seem. And so we feel this need to be perfect, or at least to present a false version of ourselves that seems perfect. A shallow, superficial facade, masking the pain and the fear that goes with failure. If we follow that path of perfectionism, we take our expectations that we've been given, And we add to them. And we continue stacking up our own expectations so that not only will we succeed, but we'll be better than, we'll be the best at what we're trying to accomplish. Other people respond to the weight of expectations by developing an ego. They hear expectations and they strive to accomplish them. And they push beyond other people and they ignore those around them, so that they can gain the affirmation that goes with success. They live for receiving a good, the good job, the attaboy, the likes and the shares on social media. They live for that affirmation, even if it comes at the expense of others. There are others who feel the weight of expectations as a box that they form around themselves, pressing in on them, stifling them, And that box creates resentment. As resentment builds, motivation dwindles, and they slowly become less effective and more frustrated, pushing against the weight of those expectations. There are others who are affected by expectations in an entirely different way. There are others whose lives have been damaged because they had such high expectations for the future. And as a young person, they dreamed about what marriage would look like. They dreamed about the perfect job that they would have. They dreamed about the home that they desired. And now they're confronted with the harsh reality that what they have is nothing like what they imagined it would be. And we have to ask ourselves, each of us, what do you do when life doesn't turn out the way you expected that it would? How do you cope with the present reality that doesn't match what your expectations were? 
Relationships are messy. Sometimes people leave. Most of the time, you and I do things that we never should have done, and we end up damaging that perfect picture ourselves. What do we do when reality is nothing like what we expected it to be? Well, we learn to pick up tools. We learn to take hold of resources that God has placed in our life so that we can gain advantage over those expectations so that we can keep the weight of those expectations, the impact of those expectations balanced in our lives. And that means we have to look to the tools that God has given us, tools that come from Scripture, tools that come from relationships, tools that we find readily available if we would just be willing to pick them up and use them to address the expectations that we have. A healthy response to expectations is attained by aligning our perspective and purpose. Our perspective and purpose are two very excellent tools for us to use in addressing the expectations that are placed on us. Perspective helps us to understand expectations for what they are. They're standards that we feel compelled to meet for one reason or another. When we're compelled to meet the expectations of other people, what we find is that we're constantly striving to meet a constantly changing goal. And we never get there because people's opinions change all the time. People's expectations change all the time. People's advice changes all the time. And as much as we want to live up to the expectations that people have for us, we will never make it because as soon as we get close, we find that those expectations grow or change or alter dramatically. What we truly need is to embrace a standard that never changes. When we're compelled to honor God with our lives, we have an unchanging standard to live up to. We have clear expectations written in God's word that point us, that guide us, that lead us to a very healthy place in which we can live. And we also find that God has supplied resources to help us live up to that unchanging standard. He's provided people around us to encourage us, to support us, to correct us, to hold us accountable. He's provided insight through his word. He provides peace and strength through prayer. He provides so many resources for us to help us as we strive to live according to his standards. I was looking through a book this week called Perilous Pursuits, written by Joseph Stahl. And in this book, he, he points to four clear commitments that are demonstrated in the life of Jesus that help us gain perspective and purpose in our lives. These four commitments are surrender, sacrifice, service, and suffering. They come from a passage in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. Here's what it says. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility... Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of his servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Now the example that of Christ leads us to surrender, sacrifice, service, and suffering in the same way that he did. 
Jesus surrendered to the will of God throughout his life. Jesus demonstrated willingness to embrace God's will. The clearest proclamation of this commitment took place in the Garden of Gethsemane as Jesus was preparing for the cross. And he prayed, God, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus sacrificed, giving up his privileges and position. He obeyed God by letting go of his power, his place in heaven, in order that he might come and live among us and lay down his life in humility. He willingly gave himself to service. He took on the very nature of a servant. He cared for the people around him. He washed his disciples' feet. He said about himself, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus chose to endure suffering for the sake of others. His death was an agonizing act that fulfilled each of these commandments. commitments. Providing salvation to the world would mean that Jesus Christ would have to endure the horrors of the cross, and yet he willingly endured that suffering for you and for me. So how do we follow the example of Christ? How do we allow these four commitments to, to change our perspective? And we step into them. And we choose to submit to the will of God in our lives. And we find that his standard must take precedence over anything and everything else. When we strive for success in this world, we can't let that pursuit rob us of our dedication to God and his word. When we find ourselves exhausted by the expectations we're trying to meet, worn out by the burden of life, and we look up and realize we haven't even opened up the Bible in weeks, we need to see this not as a failure, but as an opportunity to change, an opportunity to embrace the, the gifts that God has given us. When we feel God calling us to reach out and care about another person, even though it means giving up precious time and resources, we'd be willing to submit to the guidance of the Spirit and to act on that leading, and to make changes in our perspective so that we can align ourselves with God's will. That kind of Commitment requires sacrifice. Sometimes it means sacrificing our plan for success. Seeing how our work is taking us away from family and church. Sometimes it means making sacrifice so that we can invest in the spiritual health of our family rather than struggling to accomplish financial gains. We give up on some of that overtime. We give up on trying to impress our boss so we can gain a promotion. Instead, invest our time and energy where it is most effective and most meaningful. Very often this means letting go of unrealistic dreams that we have for our lives and for the future so that we can instead focus on the reality that we're faced with. A relationship with Jesus Christ and the purpose that it brings to our lives. Submitting to God and being willing to sacrifice will cause us to redefine some of our expectations. It will cause us to redefine our image of what success looks like as we mold and shape our thinking according to his will and his way. We also need to be willing to serve. This means choosing to go out of our way to, to care for others. In small moments of our day, as we find opportunities to serve other people, that we would let go of our schedule, that we would let go of the commitments that we have and see the value of the people who are in front of us and choose to serve. It also means recognizing opportunities to serve the kingdom and the church. Seeing the value that comes, not only in 
serving other people, but the value that comes in our lives as we are connected with other brothers and sisters in Christ, as we serve beside each other, the bond that's forged between us. Seeing the value of getting to know the, the family of believers that we worship together with, when we serve together with them as well. It's what helps us grow significantly to love the church, to love the people that God has placed in our lives when we choose to serve alongside them. We also have to be willing to suffer. And when we choose to align our lives with the Lord, with the healthy expectations of the standard of his words, sometimes it means suffering the indignity of criticism, of the people around us not understanding the changes that we're choosing. Sometimes it means that we simply accept the fact that we're going to disappoint people. And as we strive to live for the Lord, understanding how important it is for us to hold our lives according to his standards instead. Sometimes that suffering means enduring the burden of having less so that instead of focusing on things, we can focus on people. Growing and developing our relationships. As our perspective changes, our purpose needs to change. And we use these tools to mitigate the expectations in our lives, to minimize their impact, to move beyond them. And as we grow in our perspective and purpose, it means we're going to have to reevaluate the expectations that we have in life. And we need to embrace those expectations that fall in line with God's word and continue living for those. Other expectations, we need to recognize them for what they are. It's the burden that pulls us away from God, and we need, to, we need to let go of those. We need to release them so that we can continue living for God. There are other expectations that aren't necessarily pulling us away from God, but they need to be prioritized. And we need to recognize them as secondary to our calling, secondary to the purpose that we have in living for the Lord, and not let them become a distraction. Yes, they're important, but not as important as living our lives according to the calling of Christ allowing him to mold us and shape us and guide us in his path. We each have decisions to make when we think about the expectations of our lives. And I want to challenge you this morning to align your life with the expectations that will draw you closer to God and build your relationship with him and help you to become the person that he has made you to be. This morning, if you have a decision about your relationship with Jesus, if you need to accept him as Lord and Savior, if you need to realign your life and address the expectations that have been pulling you away from him, I want to challenge you to step forward in your faith and to no longer let those expectations become excuses to pull you away from God. If you have a decision to make this morning about your relationship with the Lord, if there's anything in your life you need prayer for, please come forward as we stand and sing together. Please stand.